Welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. In this episode, I talk to Blythe Landry, who is a trauma, grief and addiction coach. We talk about her experiences growing up in New Orleans as the youngest child, which for her was almost like being an only child because she was so much younger than her siblings. The effects that addiction had on her family and her mental health, and by how eventually recognising and facing these issues head on, she was able to heal herself and turn her life around to become a completely different person. This is such an interesting and insightful interview that will really get you thinking. So without further ado, let's get started. Just to give people a bit of background, we met over Instagram, so I'm truly um, grateful to the internet for for bringing lots of really cool people to me. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, sorry, without further ado, I will let you um, jump in and explain your story. Okay, so my name's Blythe Landry, um, and I currently live in Nashville, but I've kind of lived in several different places. I grew up in New Orleans, so far mm-hmm. away from you, Pollyanna, <laughs> and um, it was a really cool place to grow up. It was different than anywhere else. Um, I didn't know that as a child, but that's one of the cool things about my childhood is where I grew up. So I grew up in a family of very loving people, but with a lot of addiction in my family. Um, And I also grew up a little bit differently because I grew up as sort of an accident. My mom says I was a miracle, but really, um, so I have a sister that's 60. I have a sister that's 57. I have a brother that's 54 and I'm 43. So um, back in the 70s, uh, it was very unusual for women to have children in their 40s, but my mom was 40 when she had me. So um, I had sort of a childhood where I grew up as sort of the youngest and the only which um, was an interesting and fun and hard and all kinds of things experience. But I remember um, from a very early age just feeling like I didn't fit in, feeling different, um, even though I was given lots of love and affection. Um, There was also stuff that was going on that was related to addiction that was um, growing up with emotional inconsistency and things that are hallmarks of homes with addiction. So if you're living in or around people who are addicts, it's very common for them to have Jekyll and Hyde personalities. They can be loving one minute and challenging the next. Also, I also grew up with um, people coming and going a lot. So, um, you know, my siblings would come move out and then they would have some kind of crisis and move back in. So I sort of developed some insecure attachments as a child. Um, Now, I want to preface this by saying my story is my story. It's not dramatic in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of people have way more traumatic stories than I do. But a lot of people walking around the planet with a lot of little things that add up to big things that can be very hard to deal with as you get older and go out into the world and try to form relationships and connections. So um, I always felt different. Uh, When I was young, I um, developed pretty early on an eating disorder. Um, I uh, was chubby as I was really skinny. And then all of a sudden I got really chubby as a kid and I became obsessed with food. And um, about 12 or 13, um, I remember um, I used to pray pray not to be gay as a child because I grew up with very uh, religious family and um, in the South and it wasn't a thing. And again, I'm in my forties. So being gay, even though it's not totally accepted now was definitely not nearly as accepted then. So I used to actually get on my knees and pray to God not to be gay. 
I have a very vivid memory of being in the backseat of my parents' car and my parents talking about my aunt who is gay, who is, is almost 80 now. Can you imagine? So uh, speaking of her, I've always been very intuitive about nuances of language and mm -hmm. speaking about her in a different way that was not the same as me is the people they like the most. And that's just when I stopped, decided I was going to stop eating. So I, uh, I guess I thought I could erase away who I was. Um, and I wasn't even sure who I was. These were just sort of intuitive feelings that I had, right? right. So I became anorexic and I um, realized pretty quickly that that was even though being chubby wasn't socially acceptable, mm. uh, being anorexic, you know? So mm. um, I was just a tween teen trying to fit in. I always had tons of amazing friends. I was not a person who was awkward socially. I still am friends with people from kindergarten and high school. So one positive part of my story is that I really have always known how to form friendships and relationships, which some people really struggle not to. And in my practice now, I help a lot of people just learn how to do that. Um, sure. And I do think kind of in line with your Be Well movement, you know, if there's a, there's like a, there's a, we all have superpowers. And even those of us in the most trying situations have things that are gifts all throughout our lives that we should make sure to take stock of and pay attention to. No life is all bad. Um, so I decided that the best thing I could do after, you know, I went away to college in Baton Rouge. I decided I wanted to get as far away from what I thought was the problem. And I moved to Chicago when I was 18, no, 22, to do um, an inner city teaching program. And uh, there um, I moved uh, thinking I would get away from my problems. But as you age, you realize that your problems follow you wherever you go if you don't deal with them. Right. So, you just attract more of the same. And actually you tend to attract more of worse of the same until I feel like the universe gives us repeated chances to get things right. And it just gets louder and louder and louder, right? So I really thought that I wanted to escape addicts. Um, I, I ran to Chicago, I in, lived in a commune and I met a guy there and I uh, was instantly uh, attached. Um, they told me they loved me on the first date and I thought that was love, you know, if someone tells you they love you on the first date, it's crazy. It's not love. And I embarked on a crazy, very unhealthy, mutually unhealthy, both of us, uh, marriage with someone who was as sick as I was. And this person was a severe alcoholic. Um, and at the time, again, uh, I was just as unhealthy as this person was, but I mm -hmm. thought that he was my problem. And so I stayed in that relationship for way too long, got out of it. And actually, my life got way worse. Um, because in your life, when you take away the people who you think are your problems, you have no one to face but yourself. So mm -hmm. um, I had at this point recovered from anorexia, recovered from a lot of things, um, thought I had learned how to have healthy relationships. I had healthy friendships, but I could not have healthy romantic relationships. And um, got into therapy. One of the things about me is that I've always been a seeker of personal development and spiritual growth. Okay. So back in high school, I was doing spiritual retreats. I was doing church stuff. Although I'm not religious now, I'm super spiritual. Mm -hmm. um, when I, you know, when I left my spouse, I, you know, I was only in my 20s. I started therapy. I started um, a recovery program called Al-Anon, which is amazing for people who grow up with alcoholism. It's life changing, and I highly recommend it. And it's free. What was um, it called again? Sorry. It's called Al-Anon. It's okay. World Fellowship. Yeah. Uh -huh. So um, 
so I started that and, um, you know, I, through that process, I realized I was gay. And as soon as my life started to get better, I started drinking every day. And um, what I had realized, I'm trying to like cut this in very short spurts, but what I had realized growing up was that I had become addicted to chaos and crisis. And also, okay. I started to develop a pattern and I've always been pretty intuitive and insightful. And I realized that every single thing I had judged or run from, I was turning into, you know, right. run from things for so long. So um, after I left my alcoholic spouse, who I thought was my problem, and my life got better, and I got a girlfriend, and I was happy, and I was in recovery, and I was in therapy, um, I, I started to drink every day. And I started to get really neurotic. And I became obsessed with taking notes and obsessed with journaling. And I became obsessed with like trying to control things around me and uh, started to develop like mental illness behaviors, mm. becoming paranoid, um, becoming afraid that people were out to get me. And I realized all this time throughout all this, I probably had a mental illness the whole time. There were signs of it, right. um, but I wasn't aware of what was happening because again, in the seventies and eighties, people didn't take their kids to get evaluated for mental illness. I mean, sure. as bad as things are now with mental illness, it was, it didn't even exist then. Right. So, um, so all that was happening, I sabotaged a relationship. Time goes on. I finally realized that I'm also an alcoholic and I surrender to that. And I get into a 12 step recovery program and therapy and I've been sober for 12 years. Well done. What I want to say is, um, and then I was also, shortly after getting sober, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I have been treated for that, and it's fine. So um, the, the thing I want to say about all this, um, I didn't experience one major trauma, like sexual abuse or you know, violent physical beatings. I experienced a lot of small things that led to lots of emotional PTSD and emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And um, for people who grew up in alcoholic homes, it is a way to develop a form of PTSD um, and a form of trauma around connecting to other people and romantic relationships and things like that. And then underlying all that, I mean, I came into the world with my own propensity for whatever my brain was here to do. Mm. I, I have completely and totally changed my entire life. I am not the same person. I am completely and totally a complete, like I can't even explain who I was compared to who I am. It's uh -huh. so far gone for me that I, I have to remember it in order to remember my purpose on the planet, my service, and every single thing that I've ever endured, whether it was uh, emotional abuse or um, abusive relationships, which I've had ample, um, or mental illness or addiction or codependency are all things that have served me to be of maximum service to others. So they talk about, in the mental health field, they talk about the wounded healer. The wounded healer that is useful to clients, and I'll talk about my practice and stuff, is the person who has experienced pain and transformed it into their passion or transformed it into empowerment or transformed it into empathy, most importantly. Wow. Um, one of the, like I had said a few minutes ago, one of the things that has really been a thread in my story is I was very cognizant as things were happening to me that these were things I had judged in other people. Do I believe that? That's why these things happen. No, but I believe because I was open to the awareness that 
everything I judge can absolutely come to my life. Right. It has made me so grateful. I can't tell you how many things I can be of service around, not just because I'm highly educated. I have two master's degrees, um, one in education, one in social work, um, mm -hmm. and I've done tons of trainings and things like that. But most of my understanding of life comes from my personal experience and wow. my ability to be willing myself to ask for help my willingness to receive help from people who know more than I do, and my willingness to put my life in their hands, their professional hands, their experienced hands, and to let them help me change my life. So what I've done with that is I now own my own business. I've been in practice for myself since 2010, I think, um, mm -hmm. by myself since 2012. I am both a psychotherapist and a, and a therapeutic coach, so I do both, um, and I do work predominantly with people dealing with trauma, grief, and addictions. So i uh, give you another, you know, ex another example. Um, in last fall, I lost both my uh, longtime spiritual mentor and coach, and then my therapist died a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Long-term uh, mentors. And it's been very hard for me, but in the span of this, I'm in conscious thinking about how this is going to help me be better to my grieving clients, you know, because I've, I've everything I go through now, I, even if it's very painful and we all have pain, pain doesn't stop, right? Mm -hmm. We don't stop having disappointments. We don't stop having people die. We don't stop having crises. We don't, it's the learned way of making meaning of it, of reacting to it differently, of responding to it differently. You know, there's not a person in this world that can't, can't find some kind of meaning in what has happened to them if they're open to it. Uh -huh. And say that some people don't have really, really, I listen from, for a living, I listen on a daily basis to things that are truly horrifying to know exist. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that you can believe in the light if you don't allow yourself to witness the dark either. Uh -huh. and the way that I am able to help those people is that I know that within that is their reservoir of empowerment and meaning. And if I, who was really mentally insane, to be clear, uh -huh. my friends that are still my friends from then would pretty much agree that I was mentally insane um, and conscious and clear and empowered and running a very successful business and helping others, it's possible to change, you know? and. Yeah. I don't regret anything. I really don't. Um, yeah. So hopefully um, it's helpful. Do you know what? You've, you've said it all. I, I'm, it's just so interesting listening to you um, tell your story there because the, the fact that you um, not only have been through everything that you went through growing up and, and finding yourself as a young adult, um, but you were able to use that, you know, you suffered with it, but you were able to use it now to, um, to help other people. And then to suffer more trauma more recently, I'm really sorry to hear about your, your own coaches and mentors, that's, that's awful news, but the fact that you have approached this situation knowing that, that you can use that grief to be able to reach out to your, um, your clients and, and um, have that different degree of empathy is, is really inspiring and that's exactly what the Be Glad movement is all about. It's about embracing, you know, life is hard, but you know, if you embrace the, the tough 
parts and look for a way to turn it around to either your benefit or to benefit someone else then it can be an enriching experience as well so um yeah, yeah. and i just want to say just a little bit can i say a little bit about my business yeah, so yeah. i so like i said i'm a trained psychotherapist and business coach i mean not business coach uh therapeutic coach uh -huh. um, and i I help people all over the world. Um, I have clients as far away as islands off the coast of New Zealand to uh -huh. India, to China, to Tennessee, and where I live. And um, I, it's my passion to help people really dealing with things like trauma, grief, and addiction. And just to give you a clear idea of my own self as an example and sort of what happens to some of my clients is that you're talking right now to a mentally ill addict, <laughs> you know, gay addict, who is thriving. So I want other people out there to know that their story doesn't have to be limited by their challenges, you know, and that they have choices. And anytime you have choices, you're free. Right. If you, if you're in, a, there are some people on this planet and I will never understand why that don't have choices that are in situations that are bleak and unthinkable but mm -hmm. that's why it's even more important for those of us who do have a choice even if it's a choice to you know not harm yourself today or if it's a choice to if you have the power of choice it is a gift it is a god-given gift mm -hmm. that you have really a responsibility to take the reins of and engage with so right i love that thank you so much what an incredible woman. There were so many takeaways for me from this episode and I'd love to hear what resonated with you the most. So please do join the conversation over on Instagram, Twitter or YouTube. If you search at Be Glad Movement, you should be able to find us. I'm looking for more people to interview and open to suggestions. So please do reach out if there's anyone you'd really like me to get onto the show. It doesn't matter if it's someone with a similar story to that which has already been shared because I truly do believe your story in your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. The Big Lab movement is free to listen to, but if you did want to help me raise money for the Samaritans, then head over to beglad.co.uk and follow the donation link. And while you're there, why not sign up to the newsletter? Don't worry, you won't be bombarded, but I will let you know about any events I'm organising or attending and anything else I think you're going to enjoy hearing about. With so much love, you've been listening to Pollyanna, Blythe Landry and the Be Glad movement. Look forward to catching you in another episode.